in the name of the holy and undivided trinity. Amen. Amen. Is it Christmas Eve this morning, or is it the fourth Sunday of Advent? Yes. It's both about every six or seven years. It's a remarkably busy day, a head-spinning day. This morning, Mary finds out she's expecting, and then only a few hours later, she's already a mother. And not just any mother. In some way or other, this unprivileged teenager becomes the mother of God, the God-bearer. At least that's how we view her around here. More Protestant-leaning Episcopalians might cringe. I certainly would have cringed in my Southern Baptist days, but that was a long time ago. So here we are with Luke's mo this morning with Luke's story of the Annunciation. Mark is the gospel we usually hear in this church year, but we can't stick with Mark today because Mark has absolutely no interest in how Jesus got here before his baptism. In fact, most of the New Testament has no interest whatsoever in the how of Jesus' birth. All we hear from the earliest writer, St. Paul, decades before Luke or Matthew wrote anything, is that like the rest of us, Jesus was born of a woman according to the flesh of the rather male-sounding seed of David. But Luke wants us to see something extraordinary, even miraculous, in the way Jesus got here in the first place. True, he doesn't come right out and say that Joseph was not the father. Only Matthew tells us that. But he does want us to see in Jesus' birth something even more astounding than the birth of John the Baptist. John's birth to elderly parents was like the birth of his ancestor Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. While it was extraordinary, it at least had a precedent where God was involved. But by comparison, Luke wants us to see that Jesus' birth was unprecedented, in a class by itself. Did his birth exceed the ordinary workings of biology? I think Luke did believe that, even if he didn't come right out and say it. I'm pretty sure he had heard this from somebody he trusted. But even so, Luke is always most concerned to show us how Jesus' life, death, and risen life not only exceeds, but actually turns the tables on how we might imagine all the earthly powers that be in our life together not just the biological. Luke's gospel, after all, is the favorite gospel of liberation theologians. So let's try looking at the Annunciation that way. Imagine that you are someone perceived as of little consequence, maybe even by yourself. Your value tends to be thought of in terms of who you belong to, 
not who you are in your own right. You're someone whose conventional future is already be being decided by others. Living in a locale that today might be called, I'll abbreviate, BF Egypt. As the apparently popular saying went, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then a very peculiar messenger shows up telling you just how special you are in God's eyes. How can you not be perplexed? Why should you believe that? Your circumstances don't look all that special, not in your eyes or anybody else's. And then the messenger, exasperating, goes on to outline a remarkable future that's nevertheless way more daunting than the arranged one your relatives were planning. You are supposedly being summoned to a stupendous vocation, bearing in yourself God's crucial answer to everyone's hopes and dreams. On the other hand, Almost everybody around you will whisper about your morals, no matter how you try to explain your condition. And as the future unfolds, you'll be repeatedly perplexed until it feels as if a sword has been driven through your own heart. But it's all holy and blessed, all of it, no matter how it looks or feels to you or anybody else. So says the messenger. Wouldn't it be natural to respond, how can this be good news? How can this be holy? How can this be blessed? How can this even be at all, since I am of such little consequence? And the messenger's answer builds on the original announcement. Despite how everybody sees you, despite how you may even see yourself, despite all the perplexity and pain that still lies before you, you are already of way more consequence than you could ever have dreamed, than any of your family could have dreamed, than even Caesar or any other top-down powers that be could have dreamed because you stand with all those who have been overlooked or discounted. You are precisely where God wants to work most emphatically, to bring something so new and so healing and so subversive into the world as to seem utterly impossible. And somehow, call it the Holy Spirit, you are convinced. From now on, you will, serve as no, you will serve no less than the power of God's self-giving love, not the power of your family, not the power of Joseph, not the power of your village, not the top-down power of Caesar, but nothing less than the self-giving power of God, Abraham's God, who, as you will later sing, confounds the arrogant, dethrones the power-hungry, bypasses the haves for the have-nots until all are blessed. Yes, all.
even those who were confounded, dethroned, or bypassed. You will serve no less than the power overturning all our assumptions about how power ultimately works. And so you answer, let it be, bring it, all of it. I'm ready to bear God's crucial answer to everyone's hopes and dreams. I'm ready to bear in my own life the all-embracing life of God with us. I'm ready to be that miracle. Imagine that all of this is what it was like, at least what it might have been like, to be Mary hearing this outrageous news that despite all appearances, you are of more consequence than you ever dreamed possible. Hearing this and saying yes to all of it, <clears throat> embarking on a vocation that will be worth all the misunderstanding and frustration and pain it will inevitably involve. Can you imagine that? Can we all? Luke invites us to do just that. And I believe we can. Who among us, even the most privileged, is not at least haunted by the suspicion that our lives will turn out to be of little consequence, maybe of no consequence at all in an ultimately heartless world. In fact, isn't that why some of us wind up clinging even more desperately to our privileges, to keep that suspicion at bay? And who among us hasn't experienced being discounted Maybe that only happens sometimes for some of us, but for many it's been a constant, lifelong theme. Either way, I, expect, I suspect that we all know what it's like. And who among us is not longing to hear Gabriel's message? Hear it again. Despite how everybody else sees you, despite how you may even see yourself, Despite all the perplexity and pain that still lies before you, you are already of way more consequence than you or anybody else could have dreamed. You, like Mary, are already being drawn to bear in your own life no less than the all-embracing life of God with us. There is no life more consequential than that. I think most of us, maybe all of us, are here because we have encountered that message and we trust that we will encounter it again. Or rather, that it will encounter us. As we share the body of Christ, we find ourselves becoming the body of Christ, however haphazardly. Privileges and slights are losing their power to define us. The subversive power of self-giving love starts to become more real to us than any other power. Slowly, but persistently, we start finding ourselves saying with Mary, bring it, all of it. 
let it be with us according to your word. Amen.